right. Good evening. My name is Ryan Miner. Uh, you're listening to a minor detail on Blog Talk Radio. You can find me on the web at a minor detail.com. Man, what a show tonight! It's there's going to be a lot to talk about, and this is probably the most exciting edition of a minor detail to date. We started this show back in January of 2015, and we didn't know the course of how it would go. We thought at first, okay, we're going to talk about issues that relate to Montgomery County and then Western Maryland. And then we're going to talk about elections and campaigns. We're going to talk politics and we're going to use this show as a way to bring awareness to issues that I believe are of vital importance to the community. You know, we talk about, we talk about some heavy stuff on this show, and other times we have a good time, and I am so privileged tonight to have a Democratic candidate for President of the United States. That's right. You heard it right. A Democratic candidate for President of the United States, and it's <laughs> this, is the, this is a big deal. It's a big deal for, for the show. Um, John Delaney, who is my congressman, and just – a really stand-up guy. He's 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 a hell of a guy. Um, I I have so much respect for him. He's been a terrific representative in the House of Representatives, and he's coming on tonight. And he's going to talk about why he decided to not run for re-election in the sixth congressional district, but rather run for president of the United States. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this, and for all listeners, in full disclosure, um, I'm backing John. And I mean that. I am backing John Delaney for president of the United States. Here's a former Republican turned independent who knows what John can do and knows what he is capable of doing. And I've had the distinct privilege of spending quite a few, um, quite a bit of time with him um, in the last couple of years at various events. And so he's going to come on and talk to us. And then later at 930 p.m., uh, we're going to have State Senator Roger Mano. He's going to come on and talk about his race for CD6. Um, he is running as a Democrat, and we're going to have him on to go over everything about his background and what he hopes to accomplish as a member of Congress. So I'm going to start by welcoming my good friend, Congressman John Delaney. Hey, Ryan. Hey, John. How are you? I'm great. I, I'm so privileged to well, have you. Thank you, you for uh, that uh, in, encouragement there. I, I you tuned didn't... in at 9 o'clock, so I've been listening to your for a couple minutes. I appreciate that. Well, you, you, uh, boy, um, this is something and I'm, I'm glad to have you and John, just thanks so much. I know you're a busy man. Um, but I appreciate you doing this and, uh, you, uh, you are the talk of the town here in Maryland and on the national circuit. And I got to say, you, you surprised the hell out of a lot of people when you said, well, I'm not going to run for reelection. Some, some folks thought you were running for governor myself, included but then we started hearing the chatter and then um when you announced your plans in uh what july 28th and the washington post um i was like my man this is my man and i'm 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 so happy to to hear that you're stepping up and doing something that most people in their lives will never do which is run for president so um you are the first ever presidential candidate that i've had the opportunity to interview and i want to thank you for coming on and uh, and chatting with me. So, look, John, I've been a big fan of yours for some time, and I, th I think it's fair to say that your decision to run for for president was um, with was met with glee, with w but with some skepticism. And 
So let's just talk about how did you arrive at this decision? Well, so, um, you know, April and I spent a lot of time obviously thinking about this. And we really started, you know, we're focused on where can we make the biggest difference? What, you know, where, where can we add the most to the political debate? And it really felt like where we could make the biggest difference or the work for us to do is on the is on the federal level, on the national level. And obviously there's no greater way than to try to make an impact on the national level than uh, running for president. And I think there's two things that we're really focused on. The first is um, that politics is broken, and it's really prevented us from doing anything. And I think there's a very significant cost associated with doing nothing. And, and right now the country is really not getting anything done. And I think the future generations are going to pay a very significant price for that. So I think I have a different approach as to how we can actually start working together and you know, stop the fighting that's going on in politics, return civility, re- return to some kind of measure of respect for public service and the privilege to do what, what I have the privilege of doing. But the second thing is I think that there's a there's a different conversation we need to be having. You know, if, if you listen to the debate, particularly in the 2016 election, it was almost entirely about the past. And while the past is interesting and we have to study the past and respect the past and learn from it, what's really important is the future. And if you go outside of the beltway or if you go, go outside of politics and you actually listen to what most people are talking about, they're really talking about how the world is changing, you know, how, how technological innovation and automation and robotics and global interconnections, things that are, that are incredibly positive for the United States and for the world at large, but, um, but are tough for many people because they're happening very rapidly and we're not really preparing our citizens for it. So I want to have a very different conversation, um, in part because I think I'm a different kind of Democrat, and I want to focus on the future, and I want to talk about what's really happening in the world and you know, try to bring the country together around what I think is a pretty obvious set of policies we should be pursuing to make the country more entrepreneurial, to make sure our citizens are prepared for a world that's going to keep changing very, very rapidly, and to ensure that we do a better job with our precious resources. Uh, I I agree, and you've done that and demonstrated that as a member of Congress representing the 6th Congressional District. And when you first ran for the 6th District, um, you really did run on a platform of bipartisanship. You And I've watched your uh, – your, I, I would say your career progress over the last few years. And here's what I'm seeing, and this is important to note for anyone who's listening – that John Delaney has focused on infrastructure. You focused on securing a better future for veterans. You have focused on cleaning up the, the mess that is, Washington, that is Washington. And you've talked exclusively about this gerrymandering problem. And you have went out and worked across the aisle with Republicans, with Democrats. And it's been... I I think it's fair to say that you've been largely successful. However, on the other hand, I could understand that being stuck in Congress and right now being in the minority party, John, that has to be tough, going through the sludge of trying to get through legislation or accomplishing anything in Washington these days. Um, What do you say to that? How do do we break that barrier of really getting back to work for the American people? You know, it, it, it's a, it's the, it really is the perfect question, Ryan, because the interesting thing about the Congress, and, and you've spent a lot of time around, around members of Congress and you understand how it works, 
the interesting thing is there's so many things that could get done on a bipartisan basis in the Congress. But the leadership really on each side has prevented most of it from getting to the floor. And, you know, my infrastructure repatriation bill is a good example. You know, we've had 40 Democrats and 40 Republicans supporting it. And the reason it had such bipartisan support is because I actually brought together two things that each side has really wanted to do. Democrats have really wanted to invest in infrastructure, and we've been right about that. And Republicans have really wanted to do tax reform, particularly on the international system, and they've been right about that. And so when you get 40 Democrats and 40 Republicans to support something in the Congress, statistically speaking, that has like a 98 or 99 percent chance of passing if it actually got to the floor. But for different reasons and largely related to special interests, you know, it, neither side really wants to bring it to the floor. And, you know, a great Republican from Oklahoma and I, and I a guy named Tom Cole, you, you may mm-hmm. know who he is. Oh, yeah. He and I have put together, here's another example of something that's pretty simple. We have something called the Social Security Commission Act of now 2017. And what it does is it essentially puts together a commission very similar to what Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill did in the early 80s to extend the life of Social Security, which everyone knows we need to do. And everyone knows with each passing year, the longer we wait, the tougher it gets to do. And everyone knows it's, it's actually fairly easy to do. Very small recalibrations of Various formulas allow us to extend the life of Social Security for 75 years. They did it in the early 80s. They extended the life of Social Security for 50 years. And in the early 80s, when they did it, the poverty rate of seniors was like 22 or 25 percent, and today it's like 10 percent. So no one can really criticize what those individuals did. I think they're actually heroes. And we're basically laying out the same roadmap today, In, in other words, copying what they did back then. But again, yeah. for various kind of special interests, legislation like that can't get to the floor, yet it has, it has broad bipartisan support. So that's why yeah. politics is broken, because it's not, we're not really living in a representative democracy anymore. Because if you think about so many things that c- could get through the Congress on a bipartisan basis, we're not given an opportunity to vote on them. <laughs> and that's not the way a representative democracy is supposed to work. No. John, your story, your narrative, your background is uniquely American. You grew up in New Jersey, and you were raised in a blue-collar family. Your dad, he was a union electrician, and um, I know that during your kickoff, you went back to New Jersey. You stood in front of the home where you grew up in and you were raised in, and you did a Facebook Live conversation, and I watched. And um, talk about how that your background um, – Growing up in New Jersey, then going into the private sector, how that has prepared you to feel to to understand um, all what it is to be the, that president of the United States of all America. How does that prepare you? How has your personal experience um, growing up in New Jersey, dad a union electrician, how has that prepared you to be a better president and and and, and whatnot? Well, you know, it's taught me many valuable lessons like like all of our backgrounds have. And and probably the most important thing, my background reminds me every day that America should be a land of opportunity, not one of birthright. And I think that's what's really important because when I look, you know, I've spent, as you know, a lot of time in in Western Maryland, and I often run into to uh, young people whose parents had a very similar background to mine. You know, they they were electrician or a carpenter or plumber or something like that. And I, and I often walk away from the conversations wondering how much harder it is now for that kid of a union electrician to get the opportunities that I had. I mean, my parents didn't go to college, but I was able to go to a very good school. 
And, uh, you know, I had a helping hand from so many people along the way, including my dad's electrical union. And when I set foot on that university, it completely changed my life, right? Just completely changed my life. And, you know, so, so what I learned from that experience is you do need a helping hand, right? I mean, you have to work for things in life. You know, nothing, nothing should be given to people. You have to earn it through hard work. But, you know, people, depending upon their backgrounds and their situations, really do need a helping hand from time to time just so they can kind of get in the game. And that's really the lesson that, that, that I took from, from my upbringing, and, and I want to ensure that the country remains that way. And I also think, you know, having gone in the private sector and started two businesses and, and taken them public, I think I've, I've really, I really appreciate the power of the private economy and the power of the free markets. Um, it's really a miraculous kind of innovation machine that keeps making this country better and better and better. And I celebrate that. And I really look for solutions in public policy that use the private market and use the market forces to, to change behavior and create the kind of outcomes we want. Right. But I also believe strongly that there's a role for government in setting the rules of the road and also for taking care of those that are left behind. Because if you're going to have capitalism, you also have to acknowledge that capitalism has a kind of a destructive aspect of it, too. You know, they call it creative destruction. Oh, sure. And from time to time, people are going to be left behind. And there's a role for government to step in and take care of those people. But there's also a role for government to make sure the citizens broadly have an opportunity to participate in what's so great about this country. So I think it's given me kind of a unique set of experiences that I, that I try, to, try to draw upon in my time in Congress. And, and as the president, I think it's a very, very unique set of experiences that I think will make me a better leader. I think so. Um, John, you've been following the news this past weekend. Um, that's what's been happening down in Charlottesville. And it's yeah, this this conversation, this type of activity that's occurring really all over the country um, is is sad to watch. We've, it seems like we've come so far, yet we are, we are still um, we're still stuck. And yeah. and I saw the and I watched the president's remarks yesterday, and I have to tell you, I'm just disappointed. I was left thinking, is this why hasn't President Trump come out and said explicitly and named these groups by name, and it just left so much be, to be desired? Do you think that's a lack of leadership on on his part? Yeah, I mean it's a clear lack of leadership. I mean I agree with you entirely. You know when when something like what happens this weekend happened and, and we know who's to blame, right? And the president doesn't call them out specifically, but kind of makes a veiled references to hate and violence and yeah. blames all sides. And we know there's only one side to blame here. And when, when you kind of ignore the real culprit in a situation like this, you're, you're, you're showing tolerance towards what should be utterly intolerant. And, you know, when I walked away from, from his remarks, I thought about it. And the real question that came to my mind is, how did we let this happen? Right? I mean, I, we've all had presidents who we've disagreed with from time to time. But I can't think of a president in my lifetime that didn't have a moral compass Yeah. that I thought was largely directionally correct, which doesn't mean I agree with every decision, right? I mean, presidents are human beings, and human beings are imperfect, by nature that's how, you know god has created us at this point but you know so you're never going to agree with their decisions but you you really hope that your president has the kind of moral compass to know the difference between right and wrong 
And so, you know, as I've reflected on this weekend, in addition to the specific tragedy and, and in addition to the kind of the depressing nature of hate, which unfortunately will probably always be with us in some form or fashion, despite the fact that we have to work as hard as possible to make sure it's not. But it, it's allowed to breed and kind of fester if the leader of the country doesn't have that kind of moral compass to, to discern between what's right and what's wrong. Right. And I think I, I, it, it's made me reflect on, you know, how did we let this happen? How did we let our politics get so broken and and the fighting get so intense that we somehow allowed him to become the president of the United States? And that's the most depressing thing in some ways of this weekend. It really is. And I've watched this presidency unfold over the last several months, John, and um you know, I, I understand during the during the campaign, during the election, there was so much anger. There was a lot of sentiment that Washington is broken, that having someone like Donald Trump be president is would be refreshing. It would um, – and having an outsider as president. But then we have to remember that he, he is who he is. He's not going to change. Um, he's said and done a lot of reprehensible things that – are indefensible, and to be honest with you, John, I left. I was a Republican for a long time, most of my uh, all my life until this past year. I left the party. I became an independent, and I said I can't defend this. I won't defend this. Yeah. I'm not even going to try. This is not what Republican values stand for, and it's not what we stand for as a country. And right. I and I couldn't do it anymore. And I just thought, you know, I I'm not. I can't just settle myself into the camp to say I'm anti-Trump and that's that. I'm really trying to find candidates and individuals who are more focused and centered on policy rather than um, just saying, well, I'm I'm not for Trump, therefore I would make a better candidate. So let me ask you this question: You're you, you described yourself earlier in this interview as a different kind of Democrat, and I agree, you are, um, to, um, much to the delight of um, myself and many others. But it looks like that in the Democratic Party, there is a, a swing to the left, that candidates are looking for someone more uh, – I would say the, the, the general Democratic populace is looking for someone that might be in the mold of, let's say, a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, um, could be some of your um, future opponents. And you know, yep. when you get on stage and debate them, um, how are you going to reach out and say, hey, I'm a different kind of Democrat, but I'm, I'm the guy that you're going to need to beat Trump in a general election where the, the, that electorate is much more to the center – Yet it seems like the Democratic Party has drifted far to the left wing. How do you combat that, John? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, part of my bet is that the Democratic Party is going to be a different place in two years than it is today, right? Because I, I think so. what's happened in the Democratic Party is happening. I mean, one of the reasons you left the Republican Party to join the fastest growing party in the country, which is the Independent Party, <laughs> is because I think people realize the problem is the parties. And too many people put party before country. And the parties really haven't been that honest with the American people. I mean, the Republican Party has been telling the American people that everyone in Washington is a fool and an idiot. And the Democrats have been telling the American people that everyone in Washington is a sellout. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, yeah, while there's certainly some fools and some sellouts in Washington, by and large, most of the people there are trying to do the right thing. And we work in a system that is designed to, to require broad consensus before we can get anything done. 
And I happen to believe in that system, but it also, you know, uh, puts us in a position that if we can't work together, we can't get anything done. And I think the American people are frustrated by that. So I, my bet is you, you've heard the Wayne Gretzky expression that you don't oh, go yeah. to where the puck is, you go to where it's going. My sense is the American people, um, I would never bet against the American people. I think they're increasingly figuring out that, that the parties have really gotten in the way of progress. And they want us to work together. And I think that's true of Republicans. I think it's true of independents. And I think it's true of my party, which is why, you know, listen, I'm a Democrat for some very specific things that I believe my party stands for. But I'm first and foremost an American. And I want to go to my party, and I'm, I'm going to say to the Democratic voters, listen, most Democrats, as it relates to the goals we're trying to achieve, are really on the same page, right? If, you know, if we all want health care for every American, right, we, we can debate how we get there. We all think climate change is a problem. We can debate whether we should have a market-based solution or a regulatory solution. You go down the list. I mean, you know, relative to where the Republican Party is right now, you know, which is on many of these issues in an entirely different universe. So what I'm going to do is point out to, to, to my party that look at, you know, the values that you care about. They're my values, right? The goals that you're trying to pursue are the same goals I'm trying to pursue. But I just believe in a bigger tent Democratic Party a Democratic Party does not make the private economy that happens to employ the overwhelming majority of the American people the enemy here, right? You know, I believe in capitalism, but I'd like to make capitalism more just and inclusive, yeah. right? I believe there's an active role for government, but I also believe markets work and, and the things that have made our country very unique really are quite enduring. So you have... I am a different type of Democrat, but I, but I think at my core, the things I'm working for are the things that my party really does stand for. I, I, yeah, I mean, look, my grandparents have been lifelong Democrats um, for all their lives. My grandfather is 92 years old. He signed up to go to war when he was 17. He served in the United States Army. Uh, he came back. He settled in – he was born and raised in Hagerstown. He worked for the city of Hagerstown um, light plant for 30 years. He was union and he retired in 1985, um, coincidentally the same year I was born, so he could become a grandfather, as my <laughs> mom likes to say. Um, you know, here's a guy that has served his, served his country, lived his life to the very fullest, and has done everything right. And I'm looking for someone that's going to stand up and say, I'm going to serve that man. I'm going to serve the people um, that you know, the middle class families like myself, like Kim and I, um, who have two children in Montgomery County Public Schools and who we want to be able to figure out how we can afford to send them to college. We want to make sure that government, while we hope that in many cases it leaves us alone. And look, John, you came to visit our business um, at at Blue Star Honor Care, and you you got to meet with some really great people, with my boss, um, retired Rear Admiral, um, Rob Ray and Gordon Russell, and you had a conversation. We sat down and, and, and had a fantastic opportunity to discuss businesses. That's, that's how we want to see government work to make sure that companies like us, uh, you know, a startup technology company looking to serve veterans and seniors, we want to make government work for us. And I think that your candidacy can speak to that, and I hope it yep. does because that's, that's what we need. And I'm so tired, John, of partisanship, this, this naked partisanship that has been corroding our political conversation. And so here's my question for you. What's the next step for you? Are you going to trudge out to Iowa, to New Hampshire? I'm going to Iowa this week. Okay, so, so you're going to be going – Yeah, I leave uh, – what is today? Sunday, I leave uh, Tuesday to go to Iowa. 
and uh, we're going to start recruiting people on the ground because we're going to open an office there. And wow. uh, then April and my youngest, we're going to the fair. The Iowa State. That's now the that Iowa State always, Fair. It's going to be a blast. That's always. There's so many opportunities to make news, and that's it's it, that's certainly one of them. Kim and I spent quite some time up in New Hampshire, following candidates around and meeting them, yep. and um, so. I, you know, we we found some awesome places up in New Hampshire, and I hope that you, you know, as you're establishing yourself, um, there's some, you're going to talk to so many people up there, and it, this is exciting for for us for Maryland, and so as, as you embark upon this, um, I, you know, I just want you to remember that when when you that Western Maryland, the district that you represent now, is going to be a microcosm of this country. We have all you kinds got of people. And you were so from, right on about that. You know, John, from Garrett County, where jobs are disappearing, down to Allegheny County, where they are desperately searching for work, and Washington County, where there's an opioid crisis, and down in Frederick County, where there's an infrastructure problem. And here in Montgomery County, we're trying to figure out the way to make government work best for us. And we're trying to, you know, we're, we're doing so much. And you have a district that is so geographically representative of America as a whole. And I think that you can take that with your presidential campaign and apply all that you know, because you, you know as well as I do, the people in the 6th District are some of the finest people in this country. Absolutely. I mean, look, so, they've made me such a better person. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I say that, uh, you know, in, in as kind of heartfelt a way as I can say it, but you know, the experience I've had across the last, you know, five years, call it, representing the 6th Congressional District and having to compete for their votes um, and go out and, and, you know, tell them what I stand for, what my values are and what I'll do for them. Um, and then, you know, more importantly, to listen to, to what's going on in their lives and what are their concerns and what are their worries. It's taught me so much. And I hope to, uh, I hope to both carry that with me in an authentic way, because that's one of the things that's that I think April and I really committed to ourselves when we did this is we're going to stay entirely authentic to the reasons we decided to do this and what we stand for. And I hope to make the uh, constituents of uh, the 6th District proud of, of the kind of campaign we're going to run and how we're going to conduct ourselves, how we're going to treat people, and the issues we're going to talk about. Because so I think at the end of the day – go ahead. I was going to say one final question, and staying on the, the same track as the sixth district. As you're going to be leaving Congress, um, ultimately we're going to find we're going to have ourselves a new representative in you know a year and a half or so. Um, what are you going to miss most about our district? You know, it's you know it's so beautiful. I mean, you know, it, it it's interesting. You know, I, I spend a lot of time obviously out in Western Maryland, and typically when I'm going to Western Maryland, I start my days pretty early in the morning. And I drive out 270. As you know, I live in Montgomery County, not too far from where you guys live. Yeah. And, um, you know, first of all, it always strikes me how no matter how early I leave in the morning, there's just a line of lights, you know, sitting in traffic waiting to come to work, which always disappoints me about <laughs> 270, which is one of the reasons I focused on it so much. But then, you know, once you get outside of Frederick, uh, it really starts opening up out there, as you know. And it's just so beautiful. So I think I'm going to miss, as someone who really loves the natural world, I, I'm really just going to miss the beauty of the district. But, you know, I'll, I'll still see it. I'm going to represent it until 2018, obviously, and I'll, I'll hope to be around for a long time. Um, but uh, I'm going to miss the district. I mean, I, yeah, I really think it's been an utter privilege 
to not only serve in Congress, even with all its dysfunction, but to represent the people in the six, because the, the people in the six have been really nice to me. And not only the good Democrats who are there to support any Democrat who's their nominee, but so many of the Democrats who weren't with me in the beginning when I ran the first time uh, in a very competitive primary, as you know. And then so many people who um, are on the other side of the aisle. And, and I think I've, I've earned their trust by staying true to who I, you know, true to who I am. And, uh, you know, I really feel quite a, quite a great debt to these people because well, but for them I would never have this opportunity. So I, I hope to, to you know, make them proud. Well, you certainly have. And one of the things that while you and I might have disagreements on some policy, Kim and I were talking the other day in the car. We were going for a long ride, and she was she's, she always has much better political intuition than I do. Like our our, our much better halves always – I think she has well, – Most women much, are better at this stuff than we are, so. <laughs> uh, it, oh, I 100% agree. And, you know, I, she she's always said, you know, the one thing that I like most about John is that he – He's he can you you have this it seems like you have a unique a unique and a, a unique ability to unwind an issue and explain it and circle back but you do so in a way that is um, engaging but also disengaging in the fact that you can explain a complex piece of policy and you make it you break it down to the granular and help people that wouldn't understand a complex piece of public policy. You can do that so well. And when I was, and I visited with you up in Western Maryland in Hagerstown, um, when you did a town hall, um, you got a lot of tough questions from concerned constituents um, about mm -hmm. the Trump administration, about and whatnot. And you you stood on the stage and you got hit left and right. And I just think that it takes a lot of talent to do that. Um, and so, and she was saying that you've you've always. Kim was saying that John has always been able to to talk to people one on one on a very human level, and that goes a long way in politics because, as you know, John, there's a lot of people who go into politics and then somehow they become aloof from reality. And just remember that these are your roots, and don't ever forget them. And I don't think that you will because you grew up in that same um, middle class life that most of us have in, in you know places like Washington County and Hagerstown. Just don't forget the people that gave you that opportunity, and I don't think that you will. No. Well, let me tell you one brief story before I leave. One of my favorite yeah. memories from the campaign was my first time I ran for office. And, uh, you know, I had a successful business career and, you know, done a bunch of things with my life. And it was really interesting when I ran for office the first time how the voters actually cared more about what my dad did than what I did. <laughs> And it was a great lesson. It was really punctuated when I went to the UAW Union Hall one day because um, they were having a kind of a meeting, and that was with the retirees. And my dad happened to be in town, and I was heading out there to Hagerstown. I said, Dad, why don't you come along with me? And so, you know, he's he since passed away, but, uh, you know, he's a 60-year member of the union. And walking into that union hall with him and seeing how – those retirees, mostly men, um, just because of their age and, you know, wh who, who was staffing the plant back then, how they received my dad and just the kind of the credibility I suddenly had um, with them because of him. It was just such an amazing kind of circle of life moment for me right. um, that makes you never forget where you're from. I, 
Yeah, it's you know it's a similar experience. You know, anytime that I'm with my grand, I took my grandfather to a Rotary um, luncheon and up at the Hagerstown Rotary, and they, you know, when he just turned ninety two years ago, he, they gave him a standing ovation. And yeah. every moment that I have, and you know, John, your, your dad sound sounded like a wonderful man, um, and I'm sure that that will be a guiding light in all that you do. But um, I want to thank you. I want to. Thank- I, I, I'm sure he think I'm crazy for what I'm doing. <laughs> well, but that's okay. I mean, yeah, exactly. you have to be. You have to be yeah, a little everything crazy. Everything I did with my life was crazy, but uh, yeah, I mean, you have to be a little you know. crazy to get into this game and to to go exactly. to, you know, to be in Washington D.C. But, um, John, I want to wish you the best of luck. Um, thank I know you. people, and thank you for the can, friendship, Brian. It really means a lot to me. No, it means a lot to me too. Um, we've uh, we've known each other for some time, and I've watched you become a great congressman and a, and and that's what I, and I mean that when I say that and it's not hyperbole or bs when I said that in the beginning that look John I'm supporting you 100% you're our guy and if there's anything that I can do and I'm sure that as people learn more about you they're going to find out that you are a different type of candidate and it's not going to be what we're used to that standard politics stuff and if people want to go find you go on the web johnkdelaney.com and uh, they can learn more about you, your background, your story, what you stand for. And then I always want to give you a plug, candidates like this. Look on Facebook. Look on Twitter. You're there. Um, your, your campaign is actively Facebooking and tweeting. So, John, with that, um, come back again soon. And I'm sure yeah, we'll maybe see Maybe we'll other... do one of these from Iowa or New Hampshire. Oh, man. That would, yeah, let's do that. Um, it gets cold out there, and, uh, <laughs> but nothing that you can't handle from those New Jersey winners. There you go. All, All right. right, Ryan. Take care. God yeah, bless you, man. You too. You too. Bye bye. So, Congressman John Delaney running for president of the United States. Um, it's going to be an interesting campaign, and I'm glad that John could come on and hang out with us for a bit. So, the next person I have on is State Senator Roger Mano. He is coming up. Um, if he hasn't dialed in, I would encourage him to do so. Um, at 646-716-5971. That's 646-716-5971. Roger's going to join me in just a moment, and he's going to talk about the six congressional districts. So um, we're going to, you know, look, we have this campaign that's going on in CD6, and there's, a, there's on the Democratic side, it's it looks like it might be um, settled, I don't know. You could. You never know who else could jump in. So, you, you know, you you have <laughs> David Trone running. You have my district representative Aruna Miller um, here in District 15, and then we have Andrew Duck, who I interviewed on the show, and then I have um, who else do we have? Oh, Bill Frick, my uh, my buddy Bill Frick, majority leader of the uh, Maryland House of Delegates. And, um, of course, State Senator Roger Mano. And I think he's calling in right now. Is that you, Roger? I'm here. How you doing, Ryan? Hey, thanks for coming on. I'm glad that you could, you could come on for the first time and we can have a conversation. So um, how you, you been, Thank Roger? You. I've been great. Thanks uh, for having me on the show. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Um, you have been a a force in Western Maryland for the last couple of months. You have got, you've been jumping out and introducing yourself to people all the way up in Garrett County. And, um, and you've been hanging out in the district for some time now, just getting to know the people. 
And that's, mm-hmm. that's important. And so you are, you're running for Congress in, in this excellent district where I grew up in and you and I've had an opportunity to talk offline, Roger. And I'm, I'm so far, I'm impressed by how well you are being received in, in this district for, you know, relatively, uh, I would say fairly that you're, you're an unknown candidate, but you are slowly introducing yourself to the people of Western Maryland. So Roger, let's, let's, let's start from the beginning. Let's walk through your decision to get to running for, for the United States Congress in the sixth district. And we'll talk about your background and um, your story. Let's talk about who you are as a person and how that has led you to run for Congress. So the floor is yours, my friend. Oh, thanks very much, uh, Ryan. And again, I appreciate the opportunity to be on here and to be on uh, after Congressman Delaney. And uh, uh, I, I know he's going to do a great job and we wish him well. Uh, but uh, listen, it's been an honor and a privilege. Uh, I've served in elected office now for 11 years, going on 11 years or 11 years. Uh, one full term in the House of Delegates. I was elected in 2006. Uh, in a very competitive uh, campaign. Uh, We finished first out of, I think there were eight candidates at one point or another, Uh, worked very hard in the House and uh, had an opportunity four years later uh, to run for the State Senate. And uh, the good folks in the 19th District uh, uh, honored me by sending me to the State Senate. And uh, there I've been for uh, for going on eight years now. Uh, It's been hard work, uh, sometimes exhausting work, but we've sort of powered through it. And, uh, you know, I look, I learned work ethic and hard work, uh, and a little bit of humility, which I'm still working on from members of Congress for whom I worked, uh, before that and from some angels along the way. So, uh, it's been, um, a labor of love. And, uh, the, the more I delved into, the district that I've been privileged to represent, the more I realize that, you know, the folks who I represent um, have enormous challenges and uh, needed uh, the, the, the work that we, that the government ought to do. And I, I stepped it up considerably after uh, my time in the house uh, to the point where I became a full-time state Senator. And, um, it's hard work, and I represent, uh, you know, just wonderful, uh, hardworking people from, you know, Aspen Hill and Silver Spring up through Durwood and uh, a little bit of Olney and Gaithersburg and Laytonsville, unincorporated Gaithersburg and Laytonsville, and a little bit of Rockville uh, along uh, Route 28. And, um, you know, when I go out to Western Maryland, uh, there are tens and tens of thousands of families who uh, remind me of the folks who I represent, who are just trying to make it. They're just hardworking, humble folks, uh, trying to pay the bills, trying to uh, send the kids to college, pay their health care premiums, uh, maybe take the family to Ocean City once a year, uh, trying to live the American dream, the Maryland dream, which is hard and it's elusive in this economy. So I've been you know, honored to have this job and to really lean in and uh, try to give it all I have. And uh, it's been the great uh, honor and challenge of my life. Yeah, Roger, the first time I heard your story, and we're talking about the ba- your background, that is your childhood 
what is how it's shaped you, where you came from. That was up at the Western Maryland Democratic Summit, and I didn't know a whole lot about you. I, I knew that you mm. were a state senator. I knew that you might be interested in running for Congress, and by a cursory Wikipedia check, I knew that you had worked for Congress um, when you um, out of college and you are an attorney. Um, but you have an interesting narrative, and you told that story up at the Western Maryland Democratic Summit in late April, mm. and that was up at Rocky Gap. And Roger, it, it, I, I just I feel like every time you tell that story, it has to be tough. Because it's so deeply personal. It's your life. It's your it's your narrative. And I was hoping that you could share some of that on the show tonight about what has shaped you as a man um, and how it's guided you based upon your childhood experiences growing up in New York City. <laughs> well, um, it's a tough story. Um, it's a tough story to wrap my own head around, uh, which I do regularly. Uh, because I represent so many people who are dealing with almost the identical story or similar challenges. And, uh, you know, uh, as I I mentioned up at the summit, and you and I have uh, spoken about once or twice, uh, we didn't have much money like John Delaney's dad. Uh, My my dad was a carpenter. He wasn't a union uh, member, and he had really no money. My mom was a student. I was born in uh, UCLA Medical Center in 1966. We were very poor, but we were happy. Uh, we uh, moved to New York City in, I think, 1971, and uh, my dad didn't have health insurance, and he was 50. Uh, this is a long time ago, uh, and um, died uh, from a preventable disease uh, in, a, in a terrible way, uh, and it that that um, my dad's death left my my mother, who is young and beautiful, and and you know very very uh, very much vulnerable to uh, you know, economic challenges in the world as, as as I were was at the time, and it thrust us through sort of American horror that so many people face when the economic rug is pulled out from under them. Uh, that experience uh, took us through all kinds of uh, difficult twists and turns. Uh, I don't like telling this story because you know I'm seeking sympathy, sure. I, I, but I think it's necessary now that folks understand uh, that they're not alone. Uh, I, I was in a group home, lived in the street for a piece of time there, and it was because of angels that I got out of that mess, uh, that we pulled ourselves out of that mess. And we're, we're, we're doing fine now, but um, I, uh, when, when the light bulbs started going off in my head a little bit later, I, you know, decided I wanted to make sure that never happened to anybody else. And so I went down and volunteered for my state senator, great senator from west side of, uh, Manhattan, Catherine Abate, and worked in the courts for a judge who I knew as a, a child from the, from the community and, uh, went to college multiple times because, you know, I was a slow reader, and, you know, I never really had any good training, and I was moved around a lot, uh, and finally made it out of there. And uh, my last year of uh, college, uh, applied for an internship in the White House and uh, wow. was uh, sort of ended up working in the White House, uh, you know, with Secret Service and uh, was asked to stay on for 
for another tour duty over there, and then um, was uh, had the opportunity to stick around. And my boss said, "Go to law school. You're going to end up here anyway." And I went to law school and up in New Hampshire, uh, and came back down here because I wanted to fix the healthcare thing and work for uh, great members of Congress. Had the opportunity to work very closely with Congressman John Conyers, a great member of Congress from Michigan, mm-hmm. on H.R. 676, which is the universal health care bill. And uh, a couple of years later, I was elected and ended up back in the White House in the Roosevelt Room, uh, a door away from President Obama's Oval Office, drafting, inking out provisions of the Affordable Care Act, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. And... Um, it's been an interesting journey uh, because now those rights, those, those benefits are under assault uh, in Congress at the highest levels of government. I think it's a fundamental injustice. And uh, as I mentioned before, you know, the injustice of having the economic rug pulled out for, under you, that's what's going on right now in America. And folks need, not just in Aspen Hill, but in Oakland, somebody to roll up their sleeves and stand up for them in Congress who, who understands that, that, that American tragedy. And I feel um, humbled and ideally situated to work on that problem. Not everything. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I get that. Uh, and I do think that all uh, or most problems have economic roots, uh, and um, my career uh, in government has been about leveling that playing field. Uh, I don't think it's a Democrat problem or a Republican problem. Uh, I think it's a uniquely American problem. It's where we are at this point in history. We're a great country, uh, but we have some challenges. And right now there are an awful lot of folks uh, who have had the rug pulled out from under them. And government can't do everything but it can level that playing field and lift up communities and fix broken lives. And that's why I'm doing this. Well, it's, it's certainly a, an, an adventure, and it feels like the, the culmination of your life has led up to this moment to jump into um, to, to a congressional race um, at what I think is a crossroads um, of, of our American history. And Roger mm-hmm. – you 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 were what you're 51 is that right 50 or 51? I don't <laughs> yeah, want to give you too I'm much. I'm 51. Okay. Yeah. So. I just uh, it's amazing. I, I just lived longer than my dad, which is amazing. And my dad lived a little bit longer than his dad, who died at 40, uh, 43. Uh, so uh, yeah, we're 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 manos are <laughs> living a little longer each time, uh, doing a little bit better each time. Well, I, I want to mention incidentally that you are a cancer survivor. And that, um, you know, a lot of people go through that. And so um, I just want to say that 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 has had to change your life in some impactful, fundamental way. Um, And I'm sure that it's uh, I know a lot of cancer survivors. Thank God I haven't been um, hit with that in in any capacity. But my grandmother, she's a breast cancer survivor. um, And I'm just I'm, I'm blessed that that we have that most people that I know have were able to, to battle back from that and you being one of them. And I'm sure that that was another moment of your life that um, was, was challenging for you. I'm, I'm sure. 
so, uh, Ryan, I don't know uh, how old you are. I think you're, you're in your 30s, but I would say, you know, go, <laughs> go get a PSA test, uh, yeah. a simple blood test. Uh, one in six men uh, are going to have some form of prostate cancer, uh, whether it, you know, spreads outside your mind, spread a little bit outside my prostate. But, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very preventable uh, or, or um, um, treatable form of cancer, but it's a miserable thing to go through. Uh, so I would say to guys listening, just get the test. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's not that bad. And, um, uh, so I went through that and, uh, the really it's, it's, it's amazing. Cause I was going through it just as, you know, as I was turning 50 and, uh, and I was keenly aware that my dad had died at that, at that age. And that the difference between me and him was that I had health insurance I had health insurance because the, 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 you know, the, the taxpayers of the state of Maryland elected me and they gave me health insurance. That's, the, that's why I'm alive today or why I'm healthy today. Uh, and it just sort of punctuates the injustice that exists right now. And it's not just health insurance. It's economic secure, security across the board. Uh, but so I feel very blessed that I'm still here and I'm, and I'm very healthy, um, probably healthier than I was, you know, 19 months ago. Uh, and uh, it's been um, uh, I, I, I feel blessed. Let me just leave it at that. You you decided to run for the sixth congressional district, and in fairness, you you're 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 just you're outside of the sixth. You don't live in the sixth, and you live in the eighth congressional district. And the question is, is that back in 2016, um, you're you didn't run for the 8th Congressional District, and right. that would have been a, a time that you wouldn't have had to give up a state Senate seat to do so. Um, and you and I have talked offline about that, but um, why the 6th, Roger? What, why, why the 6th? You know, when, when uh, the great Senator Mikulski announced that she wasn't run again uh, a couple of years ago, uh, right. it set off a mad scam- uh, scramble. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, among politicians and, and folks who, who want to get into that line of work. And I knew instantly uh, that that wasn't really the right place for me, although my district is split. So my, the 19th Senate district, my district, uh, about two-thirds of it are uh, in the 8th district, which w- at the time was Chris Van Hollen. It's now Jamie Raskin. The other third is John Delaney. And I have, I think, one precinct that's John Sarbanes. Uh, so it's interesting, the parts of the sixth that are in the 19th district, I think it's about 42,000 people. Um, it's a very blue collar sort of hard working portion of our district. Uh, some white collar folks, but for the most part, they're just folks who are working lots of, uh, retired federal employees, uh, you know, uh, returning warriors. And it's, it's an area that I always felt, I think I felt the most comfortable um, and I just enjoyed the door knocking, um, you know, immensely. And th- those types of families, um, as I mentioned before, those kind of uh, demographics in terms of the economic challenges um, are very familiar when I go out west. And particularly when you, when you get sort of into Washington County and Hagerstown and Cumberland and uh, Frostburg and you just keep going west, and those problems are very familiar to me. Those, um, those challenges are very familiar to me. 
And it's kind of a skill set that I learned along the way that, that, that I guess that, that, the, the tricks of the trade that you learn just from doing it uh, long enough in terms of uh, the toolbox of economic development and job creation, um, you know, programs that are available, you know, through government uh, when you really focus on them. And I've done that on a state level. And it's a natural, very familiar kind of transition to do it on the federal level. As I mentioned before, uh, I work for three members of Congress, one during law school, uh, several subcommittees on the Judiciary Committee, uh, a great congresswoman from Houston, Texas, Sheila Jackson Lee, a great congressman from southwest Georgia in a rural district that looks a lot like the 6th Congressional District once you go out west, uh, Sanford Bishop. And I learned how to fix challenging problems uh, for families and fix broken communities uh, down there and have continued that work on the state level. And, and I also did some work as a criminal justice commissioner, twice appointed in Montgomery County. So I've worked on all three levels of government. And um, I think the six needs somebody who has that kind of broad experience in government. I mentioned before, government can't fix every problem, but it can level the playing field. And a lot of it is hard work. And no one will work harder for those folks, for my folks, than me. And, uh, uh, you know, I feel very strongly about that. And they deserve somebody uh, who's got their back. And, and uh, you know, that's why I'm running. Yeah, Roger, you um, – the 6th the, the Congressional District has been changed in the last – I'd say the last 10 years. It was yeah. – um, it's. I think it's fair to say, um, and the former governor of Maryland, when he was in office, um, he, he admitted this in a deposition that it has been gerrymandered, um, and the the district is now all of most of Western Maryland from and what we consider true Western Maryland, which is Garrett County, Allegheny County, Washington County, then it goes down to Frederick, and then Frederick has been split off into two between two congressional districts which is the eighth it, you know it goes up to Thurmont and then of course we have that long sliver that goes down through right. to 70 um right. and then all the way That's down you get to Montgomery yeah yeah down to Montgomery and where we right. Tim and I live here in North Potomac and that's it's a big district you have your I, I don't envy you you have your hands full when you <laughs> going from one end of the district to the next is, you know, it can be a, quite a car ride. So yeah. I hope that, uh, I hope you have lots of podcasts to listen to as you're on the road, um, <laughs> um, including our show. Um, so, y- you know, Roger, um, there's, you have a couple other candidates that are, that are already into this race. And I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention that there's, there's the 500 proverbial elephant, but, um, showing deference to the Democratic Party, I'll say the, the, the donkey, is, is David Trone. And David Trone, is, he ran in 2016, and he spent millions of dollars of his own money on a congressional race in the 8th, and he came in second to Jamie Raskin. And um, he's uh, ultimately jumped into this primary. And so obviously that's, that's a bit of a, uh, I don't want to say game changer, but – it's certainly um, going to make it more interesting that someone with deep pockets of money can spend a lot of resources 
to um, to set up a congressional campaign. He's vowed to have the most volunteers. Um, he said that he's going to have the most campaign offices. Um, so, you know, Roger, what's the what's the strategy here? Um, and I don't want I don't want you to give too much away, but I'm just saying what's that, knowing that and having that type of an opponent in the Democratic primary. Um, how can how is a Roger Mano going to stick out and um, get his voice heard? Look, this is serious business about people's lives. Uh, there, there are many, many ways that folks can help to improve lives and lift up communities, not just in an election year, but through ongoing civic en- engagement, government, uh, community groups, grassroots advocacy, uh, and everyone who wants to make a difference should uh, step forward and try to be the best that they can. Um, and for folks who are just showing up now to fix this ship of people's lives, grab an oar. Welcome to the struggle. Uh, I'm running because nobody will work harder for folks than I will. And that's been the, the work of my career. Yeah. I mean, it, it shows. And so um, I just know that in the 8th Congressional District uh, in the 2016 primary, they they battled that out. That was one for the record books, and I remember sure. following that closely. Um, I think it's going to be a different type, type of race. I hope that it's sure. – my, my hope is that your race here in the 6th District where you talk about policy, um, and you're going to talk to a lot of people. Part of your district here in the 6th that you're running in um, – it's it's very conservative, from Garrett County all you know down through Allegheny, Washington, and portions of Frederick, and then down in Montgomery County where we live is I, w- I would describe it and characterize it as much more progressive, Roger. Um, so you you have the best of both worlds. So let me ask you this question: you you would consider yourself a progressive Democrat? Is that a fair characterization, Roger? Sure. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, a lot of people in Western Maryland look upon where I grew up in Hagerstown, and having you know born, raised, educated there, um, they view progressive Democrats um, with a sense of skepticism, cynical. Um, they believe that you know just another big liberal, you know, big government liberal Democrat that is going to want to you know tax and spend. Um, that is that is just going to get in there and want to and, and do everything that is the antithesis of what they generally believe in. So, as a progressive Democrat from Montgomery County, born and raised in New York City, went to law school, worked on Capitol Hill for some um, very progressive members of Congress. How are you going to touch those folks that say, um, "Oh well, it's another liberal from Montgomery County running"? How, how are you going to reach out to those folks? Well, you reach out by being there. Uh, I, I mentioned before I learned work ethic, hard work from you know great members of Congress and some you know soul savers along the way. Uh, half a life is showing up. You know, one thing that uh, a mistake that I see a lot of people make when they go to Annapolis or Rockville or Capitol Hill uh, is they think that that's where the job is, that that's who you become. And many people forget that probably two-thirds of your job is out in the community, listening to people, living their challenges and their problems with them, letting it mold them, and finding you know, workable solutions through actually touching people and being part of their lives. 
I am t- and my staff as well are tireless about being in the community uh, on the weekends, on the e- in the evenings, in the morning, trying to figure out solutions to problems. And I think that whether, as I mentioned before, Oakland or Hagerstown or Cumberland or uh, you know Aspen Hill, folks want somebody who's got their back, who is who has um, um, a passion for what is going on in their lives. And I'm just going to keep doing what I do, what I'm doing, uh, which is, uh, you know, that sort of relentless advocacy and work ethic that um, has really yielded a lot of results for the folks I represent. Um, And those skills are absolutely transferable to, you know, to the to the Western counties. Uh, And I hope that they'll give me a shot uh, over the the next, you know, year and a half. Um, That's going to be my job to be out there and to listen to folks and to touch them uh, and to, uh, you know, let them know what, what real, you know, um, effective, efficient government service ought to look like. Let's talk about Trump. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Mm. And look, I'm a, I would describe myself yeah. as a disenfranchised Republican who got pissed off and left the Republican Party, as I was telling John earlier. And, th- you know, this is my story that I – I would consider myself a, a libertarian-leaning individual, that I believe that um, I want government to work for me, but I also, in a, I, I also want it limited. I believe in the Constitution strongly. I'm a right. major proponent, advocate, supporter of our Bill of Rights, ensuring that our constitutional liberties, Roger, are protected, that mm-hmm. members of Congress go to Congress and really – Take a look at Article 1, Section 8 and say, okay, here's my job description. Here's what I know that I can do. Here are the powers that are enshrined to me um, by law, and this is what we're going to stick to. And so when Donald Trump joined the Republican Party um, and decided that he was going to be a Republican, he said um, a lot of crazy things that just don't make a lot of sense and has done and, and said things that are morally indefensible um and it's just compounded over the last couple of years and i said to myself if this is the way that my party is moving and it and it has the direction of the republican party that this is the type of person that they want as its leader there's no possible way that i could ever morally stand by this and i'm not look i'm not going on a high horse here i don't want to be i don't want to sound righteous um or whatnot, but there's a lot of people like myself who said we can't do this anymore. This is not who we are as a party. This is not the party of Abraham Lincoln, Roger. This is we have so we have grown so far away from that. And when Donald Trump became president, much to the shock of many people, um, we had to take a step back and say, what has happened to our country that we have allowed somebody like Trump to be elected? And so I want to I want to get your take on. Um, a, a few of these things, and we'll dip into policy. So you've probably been following the news this past week and what's been happening down in Charlottesville. It's a travesty. Um, right. Yeah. One person is dead. A, a 32-year-old woman um, is – Three. Is, two two uh, law enforcement officers. A, yeah. A, you know, a passerby. Uh, it's um, – I just want to get your take on this. Well, uh, first of all, I think that um, I want to express my profound sympathies to the families of uh, 
the 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 folks who died, uh, the 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 passerby and the state yeah. police officers who lost their lives in the line of duty, uh, and the tragedies of this weekend in general, and not just uh, in Charlottesville, but in Charleston, uh, the the mass murder at the Emanuel AME Church, and in Orlando, the Pulse nightclub, 50 people dead there. There's a yeah. th- there's something that's been unleashed in this country in the last couple of years i think that's been pent up for a long time um and it can't be allowed to continue uh we passed some legislation this year to create a security grant program because we started seeing um for for vulnerable or uh institutions like child care centers that were you know targeted for hate crimes because we started seeing swastikas and things like that uh, in our community and just hate crimes just creeping up and we have to beat it back with a stick and it's the responsibility of uh, people of conscience and uh, and uh, community leaders uh, and uh, you know government to make sure uh, that that it can't that it doesn't continue and to create calm and make people not just feel safe and I think that's very important but to ensure that folks are safe. Uh, I'll tell you, I thought I thought that the president's remarks yesterday were outrageous. Uh, yeah. For him to for him to sort of insinuate that everyone was to blame uh, in that crowd in in Charlottesville uh, for 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 the violence, I think is atrocious. And um, let me just leave that there. But yeah. you know we do have a role. Uh, you know, not, notwithstanding the, the 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 remarks of the president of the United States, I think we all have a role in healing and trying to you know, bring some reconciliation to these, you know, unbelievable acts of terror, uh, domestic terrorism, and that's what it is. Yeah, I don't understand why the President of the United States won't call a spade a spade. And that's and what happened yesterday was tragic in that yeah. a group of white nationalists, white supremacists, whatever you want to call them, uh, neo-Nazis, people that showed up with hate in their heart, that believe that their race is superior to everyone else, waged a protest, and then it clearly grew out of hand. And some, someone who was deranged drove a car into a crowd of people, killing right. one, injuring several others, at, all because of, of what? Of what? And where are we as a country where the president of the United States, the most powerful person in the world, Roger, that – comes up and makes a statement and says all sides and it's just every time that that he gets up to a microphone i pray that he doesn't embarrass us and i feel as 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 an american in the last six months i don't recognize that this person has the best interest of all americans at stake and i'm just every time that he gets back up and speaks or something happens um, in the last month, six months have just been exhausting, and mm-hmm. I want a representative to go to Congress, Roger, who are going to stand up against Trump and some of the, mm-hmm. the people working for him um, you know, and stand up for education, stand up for the middle class, stand up for people in you and I have talked, like my grandfather, who – look, he was a World War II veteran. He came to work for 30-some years for the city of Hagerstown, right. retired, and – um, we want to make sure that his health care works. We want to make sure that the Veterans Administration works for him, that he doesn't have to c- 
constantly battle these people over the phone and we have to spend hours and you know he's in his golden years at 92 years old that's the kind of people that you are going to represent in western maryland and you know there's many trump supporters up up that way and that's fine but i want somebody that we can send to congress that we know who will stand up for the little guy and yep. i grew up in that yep. type of atmosphere and right. so you know roger you have and I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you have done in your career. Um, sure. So you're, I'd you're like well to, known. You know, just Go ahead. thank your 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 grandfather uh, for his service, uh, and um, I think it's exemplary. And we don't uh, thank our, um, our the folks who built this country and protected this country enough. And you know, we owe an enormous debt of gratitude, all of it. Uh, to, to folks like your grandfather. So um, I don't have an opportunity to say that to him personally, but I'll, but I'll pass that on through you if you wouldn't mind. I know no. um, on behalf of myself and folks who, uh, who serve in elected office, thank you. Well, I know you spend a lot of time up in Hagerstown, and, and one mm-hmm. of these days I'll get you. You, you can meet him, and then if, if you – I don't know if you're – look, he's a Red Sox fan. I don't know if you're a Yankees fan or not. <laughs> so uh, I, I can't win this – yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, Roger, you are known um, for being very pro-labor, and I think that's a fair characterization. Um, and you, you've done things in your career to um, let's have a law enforcement, um, uh, the law enforcement officers pension system, the uh, the apprenticeship opportunity HB six four four, the the Health um, Retail Employees Act, the um, outsourcing of the Montgomery County contracts. Um, First responder, Preventing. labor and yeah, yeah, labor and procurement. So, uh, let's yeah. talk about that. Let's talk about how. What's your? What is your? I guess general view on um, labor relations in this country and how that. Uh, ref, how, how does that reflective in up in Western Maryland? Um, you know, it, I think it starts with my dad. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, my my passion and obsession with uh, working people starts with that single that singular economic tragedy uh, that changed my life and the life of uh, you know my mom, uh, and I see that tragedy wherever I go, and so I've tried to use the opportunities given to me and the, the blessings that I've had uh, along the way to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, I, I am very, very pro-union, uh, but I think that there's, you know, a huge population of folks out there who are small business owners and folks who are just trying to make it, um, who aren't union members like my dad, and they all need somebody to stand up for them in an economy that's built for everyone and a government that's built for everyone. Um, I've seen an enormous uh, – I don't want to use the wrong phrase here. You can connect the dots back to some of the trade agreements. Whether you ask you know, Democrats or Republicans, I think that we all know that the, the genesis of a lot of the bleeding in the economy in terms of blue-collar jobs began 30 years ago with NAFTA and CAFTA and GATT, and it continues today. And I, and, and I feel strongly about this, that you know, every president thinks that he or she can avoid the mistakes of uh, their predecessor in terms of trade, but it hasn't worked out for a huge number of folks in this country. 
whether they're union members or non-union members. I'll give you an example. Several years ago, I kept meeting the same guy or gal, a former manufacturing worker, uh, made a great living, $50,000, $60,000 a year, owned his or her own house, right? A couple of kids, SUV, took the family to Disneyland or, or Ocean City once a year. And that job, that plant went offshore or to a right-to-work state, and they're essentially unemployable by those standards. They're working a minimum wage job. Nothing wrong with that. I did that myself, 30 hours a week with no benefits. And that, um, what that does to somebody and to a community's um, um, morale uh, and will is devastating. Uh, and if you look at the areas of this country that have been ha- most hardly hit by this economic uh, huge sucking sound, what Ross Perot said uh, years ago. Um, uh, you'll see enormous uh, spikes in, you know, heroin epidemic and, uh, you know, other, uh, you know, problems associated with a, the, the loss of faith when the economic rugs pulled out from you, onto you. So, yeah, I'm very pro-labor uh, because labor unions built this country, whether it were railroads or, you know, roads. Uh, but many non-union workers uh, did as well, like my dad. And they deserve a fair shot. And um, I think we've made some enormous economic mistakes in this country over, you know, these last decades. Uh, But it's not too late. And those are good jobs and they're worth fighting for. And it doesn't have to happen. So my um, really my focus has been about economic fairness. Again, union or non-union, public employees or private sector employees. Folks need somebody um, who sort of gets it. Um, who is relentless about seeking solutions. And, you know, in, in, in the state Senate, you know, I sit next to a great senator from uh, the first district, George Edwards, sit, literally sit right next to George for the last seven years on the budget committee. He's a good guy. With, with few exceptions, you wouldn't know which one of us was a Democrat or Republican <laughs> uh, if, if you saw us working together. Uh, with few exceptions, because when you're on the budget committee, you know, in the state Senate, uh, it's not like Capitol Hill. We can't pass CRs, continuing resolutions. We have to pass a budget every year. Um, and so the solutions for Georgia's district, with few exceptions, are very similar to this, the solutions, uh, the economic solutions that are, that are necessary in Aspen Hill and, and Gaithersburg. Uh, so I think there's a way to find common ground, to work together. Uh, but, you, you know, you've got to have an open mind to be relentless about it, uh, whether, whether they're, you know, solutions for union workers or non-union workers. They're all human beings. They deserve a government. It's built for all of them. And um, that's what I have been doing uh, for my career. Um, Roger, looking at the 6th District as it is today, what do you think some of the most challenging issues are that is facing – Garrett, Allegheny, Washington, Frederick, and, and Montgomery. What do you want to accomplish in Congress on behalf of the district? Um, I, I think largely they're economic. Um, as I mentioned, I worked for a uh, Southwest Georgia congressman. It's interesting, Congressman Bishop's district is, I think it's the most diverse agricultural district in America. I had the opportunity to work on the 2002 Farm Bill and the 2007 Farm Bill on my, on my way out the door uh, for Bishop's District. 
Uh, and um, we were in the business of trying to find solutions uh, for those, you know, those small, particularly those small family farms who were just trying to make it, uh, who were being, you know, whose the, the markets were being flooded with out of the country goods uh, and agricultural pro- products that were putting them at a disadvantage. So I was very much in that business, but not just that. We, you know, we, we work closely with county commissioners and, you know, uh, county um, city managers to rebuild roads and bring in the Army Corps of Engineers and create jobs and infrastructure projects and public works. And when I go out west, I was at, at the Garrett Fair uh, last week, and I saw oh, yeah. so many opportunities for the full weight of government and industry to bring in public works to people put people back to work tiger grants uh you know other infrastructure projects so i think that um to answer your question you know it's jobs jobs and jobs but how you get there um you know i think you need to really really hyper focus on maintaining those family-owned farms i think you need to hyper focus on keep keeping keeping folks in those areas because they're leaving uh, and you need to bring in the infrastructure so those industries can can, th- can thrive once again there, uh, whether it's broadband, whether it's um, you know fiber optic, whether it's you know roads and uh, water treatment plants. And government can do that; can't fix everything, but it can bring in those public works with industry. Uh, and that, I think that is the big challenge for the sixth district. And it's not just a challenge for Garrett and Allegheny; it's a challenge for the country to rebuild the rural areas of this country uh, where because of lots of mistakes and a changing global economy, uh, it's very hard to grow anything in terms of economic development and jobs. And, uh, and, and I know how to do that. So I'm, I'm excited about that work, I particularly to, in the sixth. Where I grew up in Hagerstown and when you go up, uh, I spent a lot of time as a kid in Allegheny County, because my grandfather on my dad's side, we they owned um, a piece of land in the Green Ridge Mountains, and they had a hunting club. So I, as a child, I, I spent a lot of time up, up in that way. And then of course going up to Deep Creek Lake, I love that place. It's 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 truly it's pretty cool. It's, yeah. Oh, it's a great place, and I love the water. Um, Kim and I try to get up there as much as possible. Autumn Fest, um, good stuff. And you, if you talk to you're going to when you talk to two different groups of people and, you know, you have Democrats and Republicans that you're going to spend a lot of time talking to people, getting to know them, getting to know the district, understanding what their values are, where they are um, and what they want from a, a representative in Congress. And um, I got to tell you, Roger, one of the biggest issues that Republican voters look at in, in the district is they are they are seriously seriously concerned with their Second Amendment rights. They believe that um, in in some way that the Second Amendment is under assault, um, and that they believe that government is um, attempting to um, impose greater restrictions on their right to keep and bear arms. And so that's that is what you're going to. F- face off with in a Republican, you know, talking to plenty of Republicans up that way. So what's your stance on that issue? People are going to want to, people are going to ask you, so where do you stand on the second amendment? Well, there is a second amendment and folks have the right to own uh, arms and the challenges in Western Maryland with, you know, 
Gun use are totally different than the challenges in a, uh, a gun trafficking corridor that runs right through Prince George's and Montgomery County, right? So here we're dealing with problems of, you know, kids with guns, young children with guns, uh, bringing them to school, and uh, the, the unbelievable ease with which kids can get guns uh, and sometimes easier than they can get a six-pack of beer. That's a real problem in an urban or suburban area like Montgomery or anywhere. I don't think those issues are as prevalent uh, in rural areas like Garrett and Allegheny. I think there are other problems out there, but they're not, uh, there's not e enormous gun trafficking problems. Now, with that said, we've addressed a lot of gun safety issues uh, in the past. Uh, Senator Frosch, now the Attorney General um, had the assault weapons ban. Uh, we, we passed, you know, restrictions on military-style high-capacity high clips. Those, um, the, 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 those fixes to some of the problems that exist and some of the gun trafficking problems have largely been addressed. They're, they're not done. We're still, we still have a problem in Montgomery County, some of these, these uh, suburban and, and urban areas. Mm -hmm. But for folks who want to uh, you know, shoot clays or, you know, hunt, uh, who are sportsmen. I'm one myself. I don't shoot guns. Uh, I don't own guns, but I do a lot of fishing. And, uh, in fact, I'm an, <laughs> I would say I'm an obsessed recovering, uh, uh, fisherman. Uh, so I, I certainly understand, you know, folks wanting to, you know, to go out and, 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 and hunt and, and, and that's their right, uh, under the constitution, but the problems that exist with gun use, in areas like, you know, not too far from around the corner from my house here um, are very different than they are out there. And, and, you know, the solutions aren't, you know, singular. I think folks have the right to, uh, to own, uh, have a gun in their, in their house and, uh, and, and they should, you know, uh, uh, maintain those guns safely. Uh, and, uh, you know, and uh, if they want to shoot clays or, you know, hunt, that's their right. We have yeah. laws in place to do that. And that's their right. In in Hagerstown, there's I-81 that runs through West Virginia through uh, from the the bridge um, in William uh, starts in Williamsport and then it goes all the way up to Pennsylvania. Yep, that's and that, yeah, that stretch of highway um, it's it's about twelve or so miles. It's a constant problem. I remember growing up, it, it right. just I, I would travel on I know that interstate. Yeah, back and forth. And there's there's mega problems with this. We need yep. to update this interstate so right. badly. We need a third lane because, look, you get stuck on 81. Um, it, we've had a lot of accidents on that stretch of land, especially in the Maryland um, portion. It shuts down infrastructure, and it creates yep. massive headaches for people traveling northbound, and then 81 connects into Movement of goods and services, yeah, I know, and, yeah. and, and it's a quality of life issue. Just like uh, you know, the top of 270, actually the, the bottom is a problem too, oh, yeah. but the top, that choke point, you know, mm -hmm. going into uh, Frederick uh, County from Montgomery is a nightmare. Oh, sure. Um, so what can we do? What can we do to, do it, to address that um, in, in Congress? That's a money problem. It's a, you know, uh, it's a money problem in Maryland, on, you know, with regard to Maryland roads, and it's a money problem on the federal level. Uh, look, I think we need to, um, you know, uh, fight to keep the Tiger Grant program going. We need to fight 
for for uh, you know local uh, highway user revenues on the state level. Uh, I think that you know those are the challenges of lawmakers you know fighting for scarce resources. Uh, I know how that problem uh, that 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 process works because I I worked on you know uh, multiple transportation bills when I was down on the hill, um, and I know that those problems live. Uh, or the solutions live in the Appropriations Committee, and I, I worked for a member on the Appropriations Committee. Uh, some of it's skill, but a lot of it's just politics. Uh, it's a give and take that, that goes on in terms of the fight for scarce resources. Uh, and I one is a major problem, just like 270 is. Um, and so uh, I, I, I can't tell you I'm bringing that, all, all those dollars home. Nobody can. Uh, but I'll tell you that, you know, I'll fight – fight like hell to make sure that we get our fair share of those dollars. Yeah. Another major epidemic that is not only confined to Western Maryland, to the 6th District, um, but really it's a national crisis, the opioid crisis, Roger. There's yeah. people um, – do- let's just call it what it is. People are dying because of heroin overdoses. It has affected communities like Hagerstown, my good friend – um, she's a Hagerstown City Councilwoman. Her name is Emily Keller. Emily Keller. She's, yeah. yeah, she's working yeah, really Keller. hard um, yeah. in in Western Maryland to um, bring about solutions to that. That yeah. is an issue that you know, if you raise, you know, if you talk to a group of people of 25 people, you know, two or three or four of those folks, if they raise their hand and you ask them honestly, do they know anybody who's been affected by opioid abuse? Um, that's a that's a staggering problem that we have to address. We have to get serious about. So, you know, Roger, what do you what's your what are your thoughts on that? Well, it, it it's approached uh, an epidemic uh, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the opioid um, crisis. You know, the, it, how it started. You know, you you'll ask three different people, you get three different answers. It's a combination of, you know, several factors. One, the overprescription uh, of of painkillers. Uh, you know, we, people are getting older and they're getting ailments. So I got a bad back and, you know, for, you know, I don't know when I, when I, in my twenties, I mean, I, for, for months I was uh, on uh, codeine cause I couldn't get out of bed. Uh, and, uh, but you know, folks stay on that stuff too long and it gets its hooks in you. And when you can't get it anymore, the folks go to, you know, the next thing that's easy, easily accessible and, and you can get, uh, heroin, you know, on lots of street corners around uh, the state and around the, the country. That's a problem right there. But also the, the, the despair, as I mentioned before, when folks lose their livelihood, when they have the economic rug pulled out from under them and they just lose hope. Uh, the hopelessness that exists um, is getting worse, and it's an economic problem as much as it is a spiritual problem. And we need to, you know, heal those communities by bringing in the, the necessary resources, the, the necessary um, safety net wraparound services to be able to, uh, you know, give folks the tools to, to succeed. And for folks who get in trouble because, you know, they're on drugs and end up in the joint, we need to give them the tools to heal and to get out of there and to get back into society. And so I've been focused on that uh, through, through my votes and, the, you know, my advocacy um, in Annapolis, and I think my record shows that. Uh, but it's not enough. I think, you know, we need to dedicate, you know, much more resources, 
through the governor's budget to be able to address those challenges, not by giving lip service to it, but actually, you know, putting our money where our mouth is and creating, um, you know, a, uh, a triage uh, right. through statewide uh, um, uh, programs and services. Roger, I think Washington is broken, and I think that we yeah. all can agree that something needs to be done. Political conversation, the dialogue has just evaporated over the last couple of years, maybe the last 10 years, and it's changing so rapidly, and it's just evolved into a mess where people with reasonable disagreements, and I'm sure you and I have our policy disagreements on some issues, but we can't, it's like we've lost the ability to have a conversation, to dissect those policy disagreements in a, in a responsible, reflective, and um, just friendly way. And so I think what I'm looking for in a representative um, to, to go to, to Congress is somebody that's going to be able to, to, to cross those barriers and to be able to have those conversations but, um, and still maintain a, their, their decency, the integrity um, I'm disappointed with the tone of the conversation. Um, hmm. We're really divided, and I'm hoping that you can bring a, a healthy dose of um, decency to the conversation when you really get into the mix of this uh, Democratic primary, Roger. So I mean that. I um, I uh, when when Congressman Bishop there there were four or five members that, that sent me off to the House of Delegates uh, and helped me get elected. And they were just wonderful public servants, but none more than, than Congressman Bishop, who's one of the most humble, hardworking people I've ever met in my life. And certainly everything good I know about this business, I, I learned from him. Uh, but he taught me, um, uh, drilled into my head, uh, the, the, um, the notion of arrogance of power yeah. And that people um, get elected and they sort of forget who they are, they forget where they came from, and they forget who they work for. And one thing that I try to do regularly that keeps me grounded um, is to be with the folks who, uh, who I, for whom I work. Uh, and it does make you humble. I'll tell you that one of the humble, most humbling things you can do is knock on somebody's door you don't know who's pissed off or hurt. <laughs> yeah. uh, and yeah. you humble yourself to them and you, you know, you let them in and they let you in. Um, and it makes you a better person. Uh, I try to carry that humility into my life, not always successfully, as you probably know. Uh, but it, it does make you, um, a better lawmaker. And every day, I try to be a better state senator, a better husband, a better son, uh, you know, a better person. Um, and, you know, uh, a, a great state senator who, whose name I won't mention told me in, in my last sort of big race when I ran for Senate that campaigns reveal who people really are. And I hope that, and I, I'm going to try my level best throughout this campaign and beyond to bring the best me that I've got. Uh, there's, you know... <laughs> We've all got different sides, and uh, I'm, I'm a handful sometimes, uh, but inside of me is somebody who wants to make government work for people, and um, uh, I'm going to do – I promise you that I'm going to bring 
the best me that I can bring every day throughout this campaign and uh, throughout uh, the rest of my career and for however long I've got left. Uh, that's that's good to know. We, I'm, I'm, and you know, John having John Delaney now he's running for president and that, yeah. having that open yeah. seat. Um, there's there's an opportunity to to touch back on the issues that make Western Maryland and and Frederick and the district what it to really reflect on what makes us as a district. What is the makeup of our district? What is the character? Of this, and I and I told John this that the the people of the sixth district, Roger, and I'm sure you've already discovered that there's some of the finest people that you're ever going to represent. Um, they're they're good yeah. people. They're hardworking. Yeah. Um, they want they want a decent job. They want decent pay. Um, they believe in the Constitution. They believe that their civil liberties should be protected. Um, they they want to go to work every day. They want to find. Uh, they want to send their kids to college or, you know, they want to join the military. And when they come back from service, they want a VA that works for them. They want government yeah. to work for them. And I think yep. that any person that we send to Congress, we want them to do their job to make government work best for us. And that's, the, that's how I see the role as a member of Congress, to right. navigate the complex bureaucracy um, and to make it work for constituents and I got to tell you, John Delaney and his team did an excellent. They they do an excellent job of that, and I'm I'm really proud that um, I've had a couple issues that I've worked with his team on, and um, they have been so helpful. And when it comes down to it, constituent services, Roger, as you know, being a state senator and a former state delegate, it's all about customer service. So, it is. You got it, that right. Yeah, yeah it, that's it, right. It, Treat people the way you'd like to be treated. Try to be the the member of uh, the Senate that you always yeah. wanted. Uh, yeah, it's, and, you know, uh, a lot, as I mentioned before, if there's some <laughs> tricks to the trade, uh, you yeah. get better at it um, as time goes on. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted yeah, you. No. Um, so just as we wrap up, yep. where can people find you? Um, what kind of events can we expect you to, can, we can see you at? And where can people come up and, and have a conversation with you? Well, um, I'll be around a lot, and uh, I'm going to run, you know, a passionate, vibrant uh, campaign uh, out in the community. Uh, you'll probably see me in some mailboxes and cable boxes as well. Uh, but um, I think the person-to-person, uh, you know, sort of meetings and, uh, you know, meet and greets and door knocking is what I've been sort of known for, and it's what I'm best at, and it's what I love. So uh, I think we're going to go everywhere in this district it's an enormous district but you'll see us in you know certainly in all five counties um i was uh as you know i was in uh uh in western maryland today uh we've been there just about every day in the last few weeks uh in one county or multiple counties and um you know you'll you'll see me regularly uh, if folks want to, you know, reach me, we have a website, www.rogermano.com. Uh, it's uh, in the process of being built out because we had a, uh, a different website before we announced. And uh, we'll, uh, um, you know, try our, our, our best to get back to you right away. And, um, you know, uh, I'm just uh, honored to have the opportunity to get out there and meet folks and listen to the issues that are most important to them. And hopefully... Uh, glean some perspective into, you know, the kind of work that we do in terms of serving folks. 
Um, I see today you were out in Boonesboro, Maryland, and I knew both. Yeah. I know Boonesboro so well. My grandparents, um, they grew up in a small community. It's it's not even a township. It's nothing incorporated. 225th but... anniversary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, my great-grandfather, John, John Allen Beard, had a, um, a, he had a dairy farm out in um, Boonesboro, Maryland. All my, all my, most of my family members are from Boonesboro, and my grandparents lived in a small. That. Yes, they lived in a small community called Mapleville, and it's on the way it's on Route 66 into Boonesboro. So uh-huh. I grew up going to Schaefer Park. I grew up going to the Creamery. Um, it used to be a. Um, there used to be a video store back in the day, you know, on a Friday night when I would go see, see my grandparents, we'd stop at the creamery and then we would get a, um, a video or a, like a Nintendo game to rent and we would, uh, I would hang out there. Um, but you went to one of my favorite places, Kim and I love Dan's Tap House. It's, it's good oh, food. Oh, you saw that, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah it was stuff. great. Uh, try the fish and chips. It's uh, pretty, pretty off the chart. I brought uh, half of it home with me. So it was great. <laughs> well, and another recommendation when you're up in Hagerstown, there's there's so many yeah. good spots. Um, try Mission Barbecue. It's very good. Yep. Um, and my my friend owns a restaurant in downtown Hagerstown. It's called Twenty Eight South. Uh, okay. It's a it's, it's an excellent place to try if you're interested in good food. Um, and then um, all the way up in Garrett County. Um, make sure you go to Annie's Kitchen. That's um, it's, uh, right in yeah. Accident, Maryland. That's a good little cafe. Um, so lots of good places. Western Maryland's unique. They have a lot of little small diners and, and some, some really cool places to visit. The district is so large, and there's so much to see. There's so much to do. Um, and it's, it's, I encourage people, spend your vacation in Maryland. It's a cool place to um, Kim and I went to Maine um, for our vacation, so we we had an opportunity. We drove up through, uh, to, you know, through New York City, went up to, went through New Hampshire, spent a little bit of time in Portsmouth, and then we we hung out most of our time in Kenny Bunkport. So um, mm-hmm. it was it was pretty good. Um, Roger, you're That's a you're great a stand- drive. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah Roger, you're yeah. a stand up guy. I've I've always been um, been impressed Thank by you. just how diligent you were how how kind you you are and um the message it it shines through and we're looking for solid representatives to to go to congress and do the the people's work it's tough it's not an easy place in dc you know it's it can be a snake pit and i I am it's 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 uh it's definitely a uh a unique time to be following politics and the news um so i just encourage you to uh, to continue to to get out there and meet all, everybody that you can and uh, enjoy this. It's a lot of fun running for Congress. I'm sure that it can be can be tedious at times, and there's a lot to do every day. And you have to be in 15 different places in one day, and you're going to be tired a lot. But um, it's all about the people that you want to represent. It's great. It's a great opportunity, and uh, I'm very hopeful that we'll be successful. And I appreciate. I appreciate that, Ryan, um, a lot, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Yeah. And uh, look, we're we're uh, we're gonna um, we're gonna run a very passionate race, and uh, about people's That's lives, and about uh, you know what uh, what government's supposed to look like when 
when it's working for, for everyone. So um, I look forward to that opportunity, and thanks a lot. I hope to see you along the trail. I know oh, that sure. I will. Uh, <laughs> We're, yeah. Kim and I are everywhere. We always, we always bump into people. I know you people. guys are. Well, we try. You know, I get. I like to get out and and um, look. I don't make any money doing this, and it's 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 okay because it, because it's a passion, and my my whole goal is to bring knowledge to to voters to make better decisions when at the voting at the at the voting box, and um, and I I really try to I approach this as a journalist and um, you know a political blogger, and that's that's very important for me. And um, look, it's. We're in a we're in a culture where um, the First Amendment is seemingly under attack by someone who is in the White House, um, and I'm going to continue yeah. to do my part to to get out news and information. So, um, one final thing: your website is is it RogerMano.com? Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so right now it's a landing page for the for the congressional uh, race. It it will probably uh, become a different page. Uh, shortly in the next couple of weeks. But right now, there's a little bit of information on there. Uh, there's um, sort of sign up for uh, alerts uh, if you want to get in touch with us. There's some links there to Facebook and Twitter. And I just urge folks to uh, to to reach out to us if we don't get there before <laughs> before they do. Uh, and uh, you know, we look forward to you know talking to folks. All right. Well, Roger, yeah. you um, I appreciate you coming on and spending some time Thank with you, us sir. tonight. Yeah, anytime. Um, I'm I'm sure you'll come back, and uh, there's going to be much more ahead for all the candidates. So with that, um, I'll see you on the trail. I'll see you out there, Ryan. Thanks very much for everything, and my best to Kim. You bet. Take it easy, Roger. Have a great night. Take care. Okay, so we'll wrap up. Um, I appreciate that. I had Congressman John Delaney and State Senator Roger Mano, who's running for Congress in Maryland's 6th Congressional District. Boy, what a show. Um, you can find us on the web at a aminordetail.com, and you can find us here every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock p.m. on blogtalkradio.com slash aminordetail. I think that's it. It's been a great show. I wish everybody a fantastic week, and uh, we'll, see you. we'll see you next week. Thanks.